Hello and welcome to the first episode of the OC Venture series. My name is Eleanor Owen and I'm an Associate Director in the Venture Capital team here at Osborne Clark. I'm joined today by my colleague Olivier Jacquelin. Hello, I'm Olivier Jacquelin and I'm an Associate in the corporate team with a specific focus on venture capital, fundraisings, exits. My clients include investors and investee companies. Um, and the purpose of this series is to provide a better understanding of the venture capital uh, world as a whole, uh, a means for raising funds for early stage companies. And today we're going to be delving into a critical document for investee companies and investors alike. And that is the term sheet. So what is a term sheet? Um, term sheet can be called a number of different things. We see heads of terms, letters of intent, um, but essentially they do the same thing. So at a high level, it's setting out the key financial and other terms to be agreed between the parties in respect to the investment itself. Um, and who prepares it? So that could be the investor or it can be the company, depending on the experience of the company with any prior fundraising. I think an important point to raise is that it serves as a sort of roadmap for then drafting the legally binding documents that will shape the investment and that will regulate how the companies run going forwards. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's probably worth mentioning here that there's an association that we kind of all tend to deal with in the venture capital world called the BBCA. That stands for the British Private Equity and Venture Capital Association. And they're the industry body for the UK PE and VC industry. They have a kind of suite of model documents and the model term sheet also includes kind of terms that we would expect to normally see around an investment. So that could be quite a handy piece to look at if you're new to this. Should we move on to why a term sheet is important? Yeah. I think the first point we should raise is that there's an expectation that the terms in the term sheet will be reflected in the documents that are going to be drafted. And so it's in a way of cementing the intent of the party. So it's important to mention that actually most of the terms in the term sheet won't actually be legally binding, although from a commercial point of view, it'll be difficult to row back on the agreed upon positions, you know, unless, you know, later on in the stage, it becomes evident that you have to make a change. Um, but there will be legally binding terms, provisions in the term sheets itself, such as periods of confidentiality or periods of exclusivity between the parties. Yeah, and I think it's worth saying that notwithstanding the fact that there's only limited uh, legally binding terms in a term sheet itself, it's actually a really useful kind of documents that are more than just what the investment amount is, you know, more than just kind of what, what the money is that going into the business. Things that we often see are kind of board representation, continuing obligations of the business, of the founders, any restrictive covenants that you're expecting to be uh, abiding to, warranties and things like that, uh, cost is an important one, who's going to pay for what, um, and also things that we uh, see coming through are good lever and bad lever provisions. We're going to talk about some of these items in this episode and some of them will be reserved for a kind of a later episode there's quite a lot to talk through so we just wanted to talk about the key points uh, on these so then once agreed that that important document that is kind of used as the foundation for the investment documents themselves and what we mean by investment documents are the subscription and shareholders agreement and the articles of association i think what you know you've made some very important comments just now 
but I think it's also important to reflect on the fact that you know there are certain things that you need to consider about how the company's currently governed so it may be to put effect the terms of the term sheet that the company and the founders will have to go back to their current shareholder base to get further approval so let's say if you wanted to issue some new shares create a new class of share you'll need to pass an origin resolution so that shares are representing more than 50 percent of the voting rights if you're wanting to if you're wanting to adopt new articles of association that's you know that represents not less than 75 percent of the voting rights and if there are let's say lending arrangements in place you may need to have get the consent of the lender before putting in place some of the new measures that will be governing the company going forwards and those are all really valid points to think about when kind of looking at what detail you're going to include in the term sheet and why it's important. We've said it's important, notwithstanding the fact that there's only a few legally binding terms in there. But the more detailed the term sheet at this stage, the fewer issues when you come to negotiate the long form documents, as I said, those investment agreements, but also to the point you made there, Ollie, is that you can kind of roadmap, OK, who do you need to talk to? Whose approval do you need to get to? How do we get this investment into the business as efficiently and quickly as possible? Um, so I think now we're going to look at kind of some kind of more of the key terms rather than just the concept of a, a term sheet as a whole. And, and looking at that as kind of the main piece, I guess, is the valuation for the business and the number of shares that are going to be issued for that. I think two key concepts that are introduced in the term sheet are pre-money valuation and post-money valuation. I mean, it's pretty evident from you know what they're called, what they are really, but just for the avoidance of doubts, pre-money valuation, that's the value of the company before the investment comes in. And then there's the concept of post-money valuation. So that's the pre-money valuation plus the investment. And there are different ways in which you know investors and companies like to approach how to make that calculation. Yeah, and that's right. So that can be quite difficult at this stage because it's an early stage business. You know, the history is limited and you've often got a new product or service or whatever it is coming to market. So the pre-money valuation, we kind of look at agreed upon the basis, looking at the company's financial track track records, it forecasts. But as you've said, each side might kind of have different emphases and values that they place on certain different aspects of the business. So that is kind of a pretty... Uh, negotiated term really as to what you think the pre-money valuation is but that once you've got that figure that's how you determine how many well the price per share first off and how many shares that you're going to be issued to the investors for their investment. There's one small point I'd like to add although you know, not a small point for the, for the people involved is rating to the price per share it's whether that's going to be based on the issued share capital so those are the shares that have been issued that are held by shareholders at the moment and then the concept of fully diluted share capital and that includes what we've just mentioned about the issued share capital but also any options and warrants and I think typically an investor will prefer the fully diluted approach given that they'll be getting more shares for their money. Yeah I think that's a really good point to make and something that can be kind of overlooked is that forgetting actually because those option shares aren't necessarily an issue where are you factoring them into the the valuation of the business but they're a really important tool for growth companies to make sure that they can incentivize management because they're at that early stage perhaps they don't have the funds to pay those competitive market salaries and they need to incentivize in another way so it's a really important point to make but so conversely, kind of, they don't but sorry but conversely they don't want to be issuing you know granting too many options because <laughs> then they'll be diluting the the holdings of the current shareholders and you know the founders themselves and 
therefore everybody's going to be losing control. So it's, it's a delicate balance, I think. Yeah, absolutely. One to bear in mind. Um, so kind of looking at shares themselves. So what kind of shares would we expect an investor to to take on this investment? Well, if they're not taking ordinary shares, they'll typically be getting preferred shares. And then what the, the rights attaching to those preferred shares will be usually set out in the term sheet. So there'll be a summary of, you know, are they getting a dividend in priority to the other shareholders? Are they getting enhanced voting rights in certain circumstances? What happens in the event of a return of capital? Are they, you know, what's the priority? You know, what is there a liquidation preference or sometimes known as, you know, waterfall distribution in place? Yeah, so exactly right. They'll usually kind of get a preference to the founders. They'll usually rank ahead of them. And that's reflective of the fact that they're you know, putting money into this business, which is relatively new, and they're they're taking a punt almost. So, so things that we would kind of expect to see would be that preferential rank ranking, and what we see that called is a liquidation preference, and that, as I said, is a recognition of the risk that they're taking by putting that money in. Um, the liquidation preference typically provides that there's a kind of return of capital to those preferred shareholders in a first instance. And then we kind of have a concept of are they going to participate or are they going to not participate in the remainder of any kind of upside as a result of, of a liquidation event, which usually is kind of a sale. Um, so I don't know if you want to kind of mention a bit more about what we see, the, what we what is typically a non-participating and a participating preference. With preferred shares um, that are non-participating, they will investors will only be getting their um, multiple of their investment, whereas preferred shares, they'll be getting their multiple of their investment plus the the remaining pro share with the remaining proceeds with the other shareholders. Although yeah, and that's that, why we call it participating because they're participating in that extra upside. Exactly. Although there's one thing that I'm seeing quite frequently now with the non-participating shares is that there'll often be an adjoining right in the articles of association whereby they'll ha if the the company is you know enjoying particularly good growth um, and you know there's an increase in the value of the shares they'll be, have the opportunity to convert their preferred shares into ordinary shares and therefore be able to participate into you know with a, in the greater pot of money yeah and the kind of point behind that or the the instant scenario that it, that, that is trying to capture is if you get the you know those unicorn businesses just that, that just absolutely fly if you've invested in that of course you want to make the most of kind of the growth that that company has had you don't want to just get your kind of investment back and, and see the founders one off into the sunset with the rest of it um so that's something that we do see quite a lot of um so that's one way that they'll kind of protect their investment and that will reflect the risk that the investors are taking and investing at such an early stage that we see other protections in the term sheet and those are things like anti-dilution ratchets just basically a kind of price protection point. So do we want to look at that in a bit more detail? Yeah, let's do that. Um, I suppose by way of summary, it's a protection to the investors in the event of a future fundraising round um, that's at a lower valuation than the one that they're currently investing in. And this round that's at a lower valuation is often known as a down round. And the effect of these provisions is that it allows the investors to receive additional shares at a low, you know, minimal or at no uh, price at all, 
they're, they're issued these additional shares as a sort of a compensation for the fact that there's been this lower valued round in the future. Yeah, and we'll kind of usually see a mathematical formula sat in the articles that deals with this. This clearly, the formula won't sit in the term sheet itself. It's a pretty standard formula. We have a kind of concept of full ratchet and weighted average, which I'll talk about in a minute. But essentially, uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast about the BVCA, there's a formula that's kind of well-trodden path that people tend to use and put into the articles. You don't need to necessarily negotiate it in detail in the term sheet, but what you do need to understand is whether or not they're getting full ratchet protection, which, as you said, maintains the investor's full percentage despite any kind of down round investment or if they're getting a weighted average and that's kind kind of recognizes that yes they need some compensation for this but allowing their ownership percentage to fall because they're not making any further investment into the business. I think one last point I'd add on anti-dilution ratchets it's that it's increasingly a consideration for the party for parties involved because you know, there's this increasing pressure on the you know price per share due to economic times and people thinking ahead, oh, what if the value of the shares go down in the future? Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make. You know, the market's moving and we're seeing trends in term sheets that are reflective of that market. And we mentioned that kind of non-participating, participating liquidation preference where you've got a unicorn. This is the other end of the spectrum, but it's the VC world, you know, things can change and things can move. So it's really important to kind of consider that. Just a couple of other things I think we want to talk about quickly is warranties. These are things that we see going into the term sheet. Um, These are often given by the founders and the company. Some key things to think about when you're negotiating that is who's who's giving them. Um, As I said, typically company and founders. And what's your limit there? Kind of at what point are you kind of capping your liability and your limit to the investors for any any warranty claim? Um, I think one interesting development that kind of goes against market practice, perhaps, is in the BVCA documents. I think that the warranties are only being given by the company. And to me, it was a bit strange initially thinking about this because it's a way in which the, an investor can focus the mind of a founder. So I don't know what your thoughts are on it. Yeah, and I think what the warranty concept when it comes to the VC world is quite interesting because it's mm. different from the general M&A world. You know, the warranties where someone's kind of walking away from a business that are quite heavily negotiated, are quite detailed. You, you have your disclosure letter, which you, you will have in this instance, but ultimately the purpose of warranties in a VC transaction is to as you say focus the mind of the founders get them to tell you whether or not there's anything in the business that you as an investor should know about Um, and then you kind of kind of evaluate that does it impact the valuation does it impact your investment that kind of stuff so they're they're used in a slightly different way and ultimately no investor is going to want to sue the management that they've put faith in to run this business which is kind of why the company gives them as well whether or not we'll move completely away from founders giving warranties, because I think we'll still need that bite. I think investors will still want to see that actually proper consideration has been given to what the warranties are saying and that there's nothing that they shouldn't be made aware of. And that is, we do it that way because we don't do a full disclosure exercise. So I think that's a really good point to make and something to consider and see how that plays out in the market. Yeah. Um, Another contentious point, I guess, that we see quite often is a good lever, bad lever provisions. We're not going to go into those in details in this episode. I think they're quite lengthy debated and so they warrant a full episode themselves. But 
just to kind of put on people's radar is that that's something that you should perhaps think about right now at the heads of term stage just what as an overall concept are you prepared to give what are you expecting to see but I think that kind of deals with the key points that we want to talk about in the heads of terms if there's anything else that you wanted to add Ollie I think that's everything today in terms of understanding the term sheet. Um, we've seen what a term sheet is, why it's important, valuations, the rights attaching to preferred shares. We've talked about anti-dilution ratchets. Um, I suppose, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think it's more to emphasize it is an important document. Um, the pro- process itself can be quite complex, so it is worth it worth working with lawyers who are familiar with the venture capital transactions so that they can kind of make recommendations at the heads of term stage to hopefully streamline the process, ease everybody's kind of feelings about it and minimise the cost involved. So um, we kind of encourage you at heads of term stage to try and get your lawyers involved if you can. Obviously here at OC, our ventures team is a market leader in advising on spin-outs, technology transfers, commercialisation and investment transactions. So feel free to reach out to any of us should you need any help with any advice on a, on a term sheet. Um, and in the meantime, we hope you're able to join the OC Ventures team next time for more discussions around the, OC, the Ventures world. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and until next time.